And turn with me to Romans chapter 10. If you've got one of the Pew Bibles, that is page 1137. Romans chapter 10. Uh, This morning finds us in part two of a five-part series on our vision as a church. Uh, And a few people have been asking, why spend five weeks uh, looking at our vision? So let me spend a couple of moments uh, speaking to that, and then we'll dive into Romans. For any church or organization or business, uh, knowing what is core, what is the purpose, what is the goal is vital if that business or organization or church is going to function properly and effectively. Let me give you an illustration from the business world. A bloke called Herb Keller uh, is the longest serving CEO of Southwest Airlines and he wrote this. I can teach you the secret to running this airline in 30 seconds. This is it. We are the low fare airline. Now, once you understand that, you can make any decision about this company's future as well as I can. Here's an example, he said. Tracy from marketing comes into your office. And she says her surveys indicate that passengers might enjoy a light entree on the Houston to Las Vegas flight. All we currently offer is peanuts, and she thinks that a nice chicken Caesar salad would go down well. What do you say? You say, Tracy, uh, will adding a chicken Caesar salad make us the low-fare airline from Houston to Las Vegas? Because if it doesn't, we're not serving any chicken Caesar salad. Do you get the point? Knowing your vision determines every decision. No matter who you are, at what level, the, every decision is determined by the vision. We are the low-fare airline. Now, the same is true for us as Charlotte Chapel. No matter who you are, whether it's Derek and the elders, or Lonnie and WPM, or Sheila and the Ladies Fellowship, or Adam in Sunday School, or you choosing your seat in your pew, the vision must be, I am here to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. And it's that vision which will determine every single decision. Whether we are the church gathered, doing the come and see attractional stuff, or the church scattered, doing the go and be missional side of things, once we know our vision, that will help us in every single little decision that we make. We must ask, how will this help us glorify God as we make disciples of all nations? Do you see the point? Being clear on our vision will help us in every single decision. And this morning, in part two, we're looking at uh, one of the aspects of that, which is reaching out to the lost with the gospel. So take your Bibles and let's read from Romans chapter 10. The Apostle Paul writes, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law 
so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses describes it in this way, the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. Now pay attention to this next section of verses. This is what we're looking at this morning. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they're sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of Christ. But I asked, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Again I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I'll make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people let me pray Father by your spirit change and reform the desires of our hearts that we may make that first hymn our prayer our Lord give us a thousand tongues that we might proclaim Christ and his glories. And so help us by your spirit this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, let me give you my aim this morning, uh, first in brief and then in detail. My aim is that we would have our heart's desire to be that the lost would be saved. That it would not just be a cognitive understanding, but it would be the desire of our hearts to see the law saved. In more detail, that we would understand this morning the lostness of the lost. The lostness of those outside of Christ. And so we would weep as Jesus wept over Jerusalem. We would be in the pains of childbirth as Paul was for the Galatians. And that as we understand that, as well as the salvation that is offered in Christ, we would make it our ambition to preach Christ where he is not already known. 
And so this morning, I just want us to ask us to ask two questions. Number one, uh, why must they hear? And then secondly, how can they hear? You see, that's, that's where we're going this morning. So let's ask question number one. Why must they hear? Look at Romans chapter 10, verse 13. The Apostle Paul says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now here Paul brings together two very crucial words in the book of Romans. Everyone and saved. Because of what God has done in Jesus, salvation is available, offered to everyone. Uh, it doesn't matter whether you are Jew or Gentile. It doesn't matter if you adhere to a law or not. Salvation is available to everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. So whether it is the everyone of verse 4, the anyone of verse 11, the all of verse 12, or the everyone of verse 13, everyone, anyone, all, everyone who confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead will be saved. Everyone saved. Now in verses 14 and 15, Paul asks, asks four rhetorical questions. Do you see that? To press upon his readers and to press upon us the necessity of reaching out to the lost with the gospel. Do you see these four rhetorical questions? How then can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? Now, Paul here kind of maps out a chain of events that must happen if anyone from the everyone is to be saved. You see it really clearly, actually, if you reverse the order. So, a preacher must be sent. The preacher must preach. The people must hear. The hearers must believe. The believers must call. And those who call will be saved. Now, let me ask you these rhetorical questions, and I want you to answer them, okay? This is the congregational participation part, all right? Here's the first question. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? They can't. Question number two. How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? They can't. Question number three. How can they hear without someone preaching to them? Pardon? They can't. Do you see that? Although salvation is offered to everyone, unless they hear, they can't. Do you see that? Feel the force of this, these verses in the negative. Unless a preacher is sent for the task, there will be no gospel preachers. Unless the gospel is preached, no one shall hear Christ's message and his voice. Unless they hear him, they will not believe in his death and resurrection. Unless they believe these truths, they will not call on him. And unless they call on him, they will not be saved. Do you see that? They can't. 
A very simple answer to the question of why must they hear is found in verse 17. Because faith comes through hearing the message. And hearing the message is heard through the words of Christ. Those who do not hear cannot be saved. Now, I find myself asking this week, how how necessary is this salvation? Uh, What is the condition of those who are outside of Christ? Because the nature of the plight determines the necessity of their salvation, doesn't it? Uh, For example, you take the Mission Impossible movies. Now, the reason why those movies are so enthralling is because Mr. Cruz generally... Uh, does find himself in a little bit of a pickle. You know, they are, they are serious situations with massive consequences. So they are uh, terrorist plots or uh, nuclear launch codes and those kind of things. Uh, no one would go and see MI5 if the new plot line was a kitten stuck up a tree, would they? The nature of the plight determines the necessity of a mission. And so too for the lost, the necessity of a savior is dependent on their plight. And so Thursday afternoon this week, I took a blank piece of paper and I wrote at the top of it, Lord, show me the condition of the lost. It was a prayer where I said, Lord, for my friends, for my family, for my city, show me why they must hear the gospel. And I read Romans start to finish. And I just wrote down every explicit statement that talks either about their present condition or their future destiny. Now, I want, I want just to read this to you. It is a long list. But I want you to hear the weight of the testimony of Scripture. That we would understand the gravity of the condition of those who are outside of Christ. And so my list said this. Those outside of Christ, they are under the wrath of God. They are without excuse. They are fools, haters of God. They are deserving of death. They are under God's judgment. They are storing up wrath. They will be judged according to their works. They will suffer wrath and fury, tribulation and distress. They will perish and be judged. They are condemned as sinners. They will suffer a just condemnation. They are held accountable to God. They are under God's wrath. They are his enemies. They face condemnation. They are under the reign of death. They are condemned and enslaved to sin and under death's dominion and slaves of sin leading to death. They are slaves to impurity and lawlessness leading to death. Death will be their wage. They are bearing fruit for death. They are deceived and killed by sin. They are hostile to God. They cannot please him. Living according to the flesh, they will die. They are accursed and cut off from Christ, prepared for destruction under God's sentence. They are ignorant of God's righteousness. They are ensnared for retribution. They are blind. They are under the severity of God. They are cut off from him. They are his enemies who will meet his vengeance. They will incur judgments. They are wrongdoers who will meet his wrath. They will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and each 
will give an account of himself to God. Why must they hear? Why must they hear? Because those outside of Christ will not hear that in Christ they can be saved. And they are under his wrath and they are storing up wrath. They are condemned and they will face condemnation. Paul knows the answer to these rhetorical questions. He knows the answer is they can't. See, if faith comes through hearing and they never hear, they cannot be saved. And it was this theology, this understanding that drove Paul to reach out to the lost. It was this theology that compelled him to write to the Romans that they might join him on their mission and join him in supporting him in his mission to Spain. It was this understanding of the lostness of the lost that determined his understanding of beauty, how beautiful the feet of those who bring good news. It was this understanding that galvanized his mission. How can they hear unless someone preaches to them? And it was this theology that determined his heart's desire. Romans 10 verse 1. My heart's desire and prayer to God is that Israel may be saved. This has been true not only of the Apostle Paul, but of thousands of saints since him. Let me give you a couple of examples. As they've understand why people must hear the gospel. Uh, Robert Murray McChain wrote this of Edinburgh on the 3rd of March, 1834. A quote should come up on the screen. Accompanied Andrew Bonner in one of his rounds through some of the most miserable habitations I've ever beheld. This is Edinburgh. Such a scene I have never before dreamed of. Why am I such a stranger to the poor of my native town? I've passed by their doors thousands of times. I've admired the huge black piles of buildings with their lofty chimneys breaking the sun's rays. Why have I never ventured within? How dwelleth the love of God in me? What embedded masses of human beings are huddled together, unvisited by friend or minister. No man careth for our souls is written over every forehead. Awake, my soul. Why should I give hours and days any longer to the vain world when there is such a world of misery at my very door? Lord, put thine own strength in me. Conform every good resolution. Forgive my past long life of usefulness and folly. See what he does? He knows why people must hear the gospel. And so he rebukes himself for his lack of care. No man careth for my soul on every forehead. No man reaches out to me with the gospel. Another man, C.T. Studd, a wealthy man, an England cricketer, wrote this in the 19th century. My heart was no longer in the game of cricket. I wanted to win souls for the Lord. How could I spend the best years of my life in working for myself and the honors and pleasures of this world while thousands of thousands of souls are perishing every day without having heard of Christ? 
So he moved to China to proclaim Jesus. Uh, McShane, Stud, uh, you could add Margaret Martin to that list. We had our funeral service this week. What a testimony to a life lived, understanding why people must hear the gospel. And so one of her final prayers, that every one of my grandchildren would come to claim Christ and call upon his name for salvation. That's someone who understands why people must hear the gospel. As we understand this, it must impact every decision we make as a church, as an individual. It must fuel our prayers and must change every decision that we make. They must hear. Our prayer must be, Lord, for every single person I meet, every single time I meet them, may utmost in my mind be why they must hear the gospel. What must they hear? In verse 17, it is the message of Christ. Died and risen. In verse 14, it's actually they must hear more than that. They must hear his voice. Him whom they have not heard. If you're not a Christian here this morning, I hope you can see what the Bible says is your present condition and your future destiny. And I hope that you would see Christ, that as he hung on the cross, uh, he took your sin upon him. So that as he hung there, he was suffering all the things that we read of in Romans. He was condemned. He was ensnared by death, facing God's wrath and his anger and his condemnation and his vengeance and his fury that he might give to you his perfect righteousness. And to you this morning I say, see this Christ and call out to him that you might be saved. It is as simple as calling, as simple as the cry of help. And he says, all, everyone, anyone who calls upon the name of Christ shall be saved. Why must they hear? Because faith comes by hearing. How can they hear if no one preaches? They can't. And so we must ask a second question. If this has captured the desires of our hearts, we must ask, how then can they hear? Um, first, let's ask um, the why. If we can flick onto the next screen. Who is, who is the they? Well, for us, primarily, it is the 450,000 people in Edinburgh who currently live and breathe outside of Christ. And they are the ones who are on our doorstep who, at the moment, can't. In um, Romans 10, Paul goes on to apply this uh, very specifically to the nation of Israel. Uh, in verse 18 to 21, he is very pointedly applying this to this individual nation. And his point to them is actually, do you know what? They have heard this good news. Verse 18, of course they have. In verse 19 and 20, he says, not only have they heard, but actually they have understood. 
He negates any possibility that they were in ignorance and says, you not only heard, but you understood that God was at work in the gospel. Their own scriptures declared it. Moses told you, Isaiah told you, God told you. And so in verse 21, do you see the language that's used? They were not ignorant. They were disobedient and obstinate. Now, I think Edinburgh stands in contrast to Israel. I think the majority of those in Edinburgh have not heard, let alone understood the good news. I think the majority of the 450,000 have never been disobedient to the gospel of Christ because they have never heard the true gospel of Christ. They stand as those in Romans 1 who, having rejected the revelation of God in nature, have turned to idolatry, worshipping the creation instead of the creator. They stand as those who, without excuse, in their thinking are futile and foolish and darkened to the light of the gospel. And though they know enough of God to be condemned and um, without excuse, they have not seen the revelation of God in Christ and been offered the righteousness that comes by faith. Well, through God's word, we actually know them better than they know themselves. Through God's word, we know their destiny better than they know themselves. And so Charlotte Chapel, we must be those who rise and say, at the moment, though they have never heard and therefore cannot be saved, we must rise and say, we will reach out to the lost with the gospel. We must say, as Paul says in Romans fifteen twenty, we will make it our ambition to preach Christ where he is not already known. Because those who have not heard will not be saved. We exist in Edinburgh for the 450,000. We are in Edinburgh, firstly, as we saw last week, for God's glory. But we are in Edinburgh for Edinburgh for the sake of those who have never heard. Uh, so let's try and apply this. If uh, this vision to reach out to the lost uh, should impact every decision, how does this look as the church gathered and then as the church scattered? Let's try and apply these things. Firstly then, as the church gathered, when we come together Sundays, midweeks, what would this look like? Firstly, this must be the focus of everything we do. We have limited resources and we have a finite amount of time. And so we cannot do everything. But we must do this one thing. Reach out to the lost with the gospel. Uh, to whatever ministry area you are involved in, you must ask the question, is this seeking to proclaim Christ to those who are lost? If you are an elder or a deacon or a ministry leader or a uniformed organization section leader, you must ask the question, if someone was to come to our group or our meeting just once, would they hear enough of Christ to call upon his name and be saved? Now this impacts how we do our Sunday services, doesn't it? 
in the leading, in the praying, in the singing, in the preaching, we must make sure that the gospel is clear and front and central. So that as an unbeliever comes in, it is accessible and intelligible to them that they see Christ. Um, It affects you as you sit in the pew or as you're on the welcoming team at the front door. That every decision you make says, how am I going to use this opportunity to reach out to the lost that I might best serve them to hear and witness Christ? It means that as a church, we need to be very deliberate about our evangelism as well. If there are these four steps that the preacher preaches and the hearer hears and then they believe and then they call, we must work hard at how we're going to progress people along that chain. So we are thinking quite deliberate at the moment. We want to run more of the kind of pre-evangelistic events, like remember the cupcake thing? We want to introduce people to Christians and a first opportunity to hear the gospel. We want to do more evangelistic events, like the sports quiz, where Christ is proclaimed really clearly. We want to offer more Christianity Explore courses so that as people get more intrigued, we can bring them to Glad You Asked or CE and say, come and investigate Christ. And we want to make sure on Sundays in our sermons, we have an appeal to non-Christians to put their faith in Christ. We want to be very deliberate about that. It will also mean that we need to be working on relationships with other churches that hold to the same convictions and vision as we do. And be planting more churches. We are a tiny voice in our city. As 600 people is minuscule. We need need to get past the idea that uh, we are a big church. um, Or be content at our current size. 600 people is nothing. There were 60,000 at Hamden yesterday. We are not big. We do not have a loud voice. And so we need to have a bigger vision. And if partnerships in the gospel and church planting will serve that, we must be engaging in these things. Because how will people hear if we do not proclaim? Um, It will probably mean that um, these type of things are worth pursuing. One possible thing may be a more prominent building. If a more prominent building gives us a more prominent voice in our city, that is a possibility at least worth investigating for the sake of the lost in our city. And let me give you one very practical way that as the church gathered, we can be on this mission to reach for the lost. Uh, This summer, we are doing two weeks of mission. And we are going on mission as a church to Edinburgh. Uh, Word Alive is our mission to our city. And so we want to be using as a body the gifts that God's Spirit has sovereignly gifted to us for the sake of a loud and clear witness. If you can do any of these things, we would love you to join with us in proclaiming the word of Christ during the Edinburgh Festival. Um, Would you, could you, take a day, two days, a week off work to join us in mission as we reach out to the lost with the gospel. If you can do any of these things, speak to Dave Patterson or Robin Turton or Shona Reese because we need, we must, as we understand the lostness of the lost, be seeking to proclaim 
Christ. How can they hear? As the church gathered, we must be proclaiming Christ. Uh, what then is the church scattered? Uh, what can we do as we uh, scatter throughout the city as small groups or as individuals? Um, well, one quick thing before we get into that. You may say, this verse asks for preachers. I am no preacher. But that, that word in verse 14 is actually much wider than the kind of Sunday morning sermon. Uh, we may not all be preachers and teachers, but any of us who understand and comprehend the lostness of the lost have a responsibility to be introducing people to Jesus. If I understand that everything that was written in that book of Romans is true about everyone that I come into contact with, we have a responsibility to witness Christ and to bring the word of Christ to bear in their lives. As Spurgeon says helpfully, for this work, a high degree of gifts is not required. It does not say, how shall they hear without a doctor of divinity? It does not say, how shall they hear without a popular preacher? No. Our confidence is not in the doctors or the preachers. It is in anyone who proclaims the word of Christ. Because it is as the gospel is proclaimed that the voice of Jesus is heard. And that is the power unto salvation. So, as we scatter, how are you seeking to make Christ known? Uh, this Wednesday, it's fellowship groups, is that right? Uh, why not this week in your fellowship discuss, how can we make our fellowship group a little hub for evangelism in our postcode? You know, could our small group run a Christianity Explorer course? Could we do a summer barbecue in a local park where we invite the community to? What can we be doing in our fellowship groups to be proclaiming Christ? And what about you as you go to work? How can you be going to work with a gospel intentionality to be on mission for the sake of the lost in your company, business, school, whatever? Uh, Paul says in Romans 15, 20, I make it my ambition to preach Christ wherever he is not already known. Do you know, that, that could apply to standard life. That could apply to Tesco or Next or George Heriot's or HMV or whatever. He's not known. Um, there's a guy called Mark Green who's written quite a little helpful book called uh, Ministry in... Uh, the subtitle is Ministry in the Workplace. The title is... Uh, anyone help me out? Thank God It's Monday is the title of the book. Uh, let me read a section to you from this. He says, In my first two and a half years at Ogilvy and Mather, that's an advertising agency where he worked, no one became a Christian. After two and a half years, the total number of Christians at Ogilvy was five. That is about 0.3% of their corporate population. And that's an evangelistic need greater than the 1 million Bambara in the Ivory Coast, the 350,000 Dangambola in Ghana, and the 2 million Akinese in North Sumatra. In fact, that is an evangelistic need greater than almost every ethnic group on earth. Fortunately, only my company was paying for my evangelistic efforts. In the nine months that followed, uh, the missionary grew dramatically. Quiet time groups, prayer chains, Bible studies after work, an excited, committed Christian woman appeared and started developing her own ministry. And in response to prayer for workers, a mature Christian man emerged and four people became Christians. From time to time, he says, 
it is good to consciously remind ourselves what fruit we have seen. Has anyone come to Christ? Have we had the opportunity to share the gospel with anyone? Is there another Christian we could pray with? How have we been praying for opportunities for growth? That is what he looked like in Ogilvy and Mather. That is what it meant for Mark Green to be on mission in the business world. Maybe like he says, it's time for you to uh, review, to think about how you can be reaching out to the mission field of those who have never heard of Christ where you spend the majority of your time Monday to Friday. And to meet with another Christian to pray, to run a Bible study, to invite people along, whatever it might be. How are you going to be a missionary to Standard Life or George Heriot School or Tesco? Um, I love the ambition of Christians in sport. It says that we want to see a Christian in every sports team in the UK. And I wonder if we can hijack that and say as a church, as we seek to reach out to the lost, we would love to have a Christian in every business in Edinburgh who can proclaim the gospel to those who are lost. Are you going to be that one, maybe in your business, that we might proclaim Christ where he's not already known? Uh, The exciting thing is that this is already happening in Charlotte Chapel. Do you know this week, I've spoken to two Charlotte Chapel members who have told me that they have had the privilege of leading someone to Christ this week. (laughs) It's happening. Isn't that class? People who were condemned, now saved. I hope you're hungry for that. I hope you make it your prayer. Lord, may I have the privilege of leading someone to Christ this year. Uh, It affects, how, how, how are we using our homes as little hubs of mission. Uh, There's just finished in one of our members' homes in Cramont, uh, a couple of Christian moms and a couple of uh, moms who are interested in the gospel have done Christianity Explorer together in one of their homes. Could you do that? How are you using your home with gospel intentionality, with hospitality? A coffee morning for the moms at the school gates uh, to get the lads round to watch the football. Um, How are we using those opportunities for the sake of proclaiming the gospel to the lost? I read a quote this week from Francis Schaeffer. Now, this is a strong quote, but I think it gets the point across. And I find it challenging in the week before I get married. Schaeffer says this of him and his wife. In our first three years, all our wedding presents were wiped out. Our sheets were torn Holes were burnt in our rugs. Drugs came into our place. People vomited all over our rugs. How many times have you had a drug taker come into your home? Sure, it's a danger to your family, and you must be careful. But have you ever risked it? If you've never done any of these things, or things of this nature, if you've been married for years and years, and had a home, and none of this has ever occurred if you've been quiet, especially as our culture is crumbling about us, if this is true, do you really believe that people are going to hell? Now, that is a strong quote, but that is a quote from a man who understands why people must hear the gospel. It's a man using his wedding presence for the sake of reaching out to the lost. Charlotte Chapel, our individuals here today. What is the one thing that uh, you can do this week 
to reach out to the lost? You know, is it an overdue phone call? Is it a necessary letter? Is it finally a stand at work to say, I follow Jesus? Is it a conversation with someone that you need to have? Is it a visit to an elderly relative? What is the one thing that we can do this week as we understand why people must hear the gospel? We start asking, okay, how can they hear it? And I pray that we would have a theology, an understanding of them and the gospel that would overcome our fear of man and overcome any awkwardness or overcome our idols of popularity to stand up and name Christ as Lord as the one that God has risen from the dead. Back to C.T. Studd. He said, Some wish to live within sound of church and chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. What's going to characterize us? Uh, The comfort of maybe having a bell or being a rescue shop for those who are destined for a lost eternity. Let me pray.